works in there, all right? Okay, let's turn. You're going to need your Bibles this morning, and uh, I'll tell you the story in that why. Um, it's not Margaret's fault. Go ahead, junior high, kick it. Um, there's some messages that really come together. You just know how they're going to go. You know how to walk them. You know how to work them. And I had this message in my head uh, for a couple weeks, and the problem with this week is I could not find the right words and way to come at it, and I could not find the right order, and I had a week of massive interruptions, and, uh, and so I kept trying to go at it, and Margaret kept saying, when's the slides, where's the slides, where's the slides? I said, I'll, I'll get them to you, and uh, I finally got them to her on Saturday at 8, and I said, so if you can get them out, great, no pressure, we'll have slides. If you can't get them out, don't worry about it, we'll go verbal, and they'll just have to listen to me. So as you can see, we're going verbal <laughs> because I botched it this week, all right? I don't know if pastors ever say that, but, you know, we're not machines, all right? And uh, also on that uh, reminder, pray for uh, Devin Lynn Geringer. Uh, you know about him. He's got a brain infection that turned into an abscess. He's in pretty serious condition right now, and they would uh, really appreciate your prayers. That's part of what swallowed my week up. But we're going to talk about evangelism. I want you to turn to the book of John. We spent a lot of time in the book of John, and I thought that would be a great place to launch from this morning. Let's pray this morning. Father, when we come together before you, there can be a lot of different places we are. We can be doing really good, and that's exciting. But Lord, we can also have needs inside that we can't put words to. There may be a blindness in us that we can't see, and we need you to open our eyes. There may be a brokenness that nobody knows about, and we need a healing touch from you. Lord, we may be barren. There just may be no life in us right now. And uh, Keith Green used to sing, what can be done for an old heart like mine? And soften it up with your oil and wine. And maybe this morning, just your presence needs to be here to soften us up and And Lord, we may be bankrupt. We may just have nothing to give in terms of finances or gifts or anything. And we're just uh, sitting on the wrong end of that equation. And you may need to be Jehovah Jireh this morning and provide what we can't provide for ourselves. Lord, I I, uh, covet your presence among us. There's human activity and we know how to measure that. But then there's when you're at work. And that cannot be measured, but we know it, we sense it, we can feel it. And our uh, whole thing uh, is that you pruned us and we should be anticipating uh, a fall of fruitfulness, a season, a stretch where you're at work in unique ways and we may be vastly unequipped to be able to cooperate with you. And we ask this morning that you would give us a grace appropriate for what you're going to do. And we ask for that in your name. Amen. All right. Take the book of John, and we're going to be in John 15, and uh, I'll turn there with you. John 15, verse 5, says this. We're talking about uh, fruit. We had a message two weeks ago talking bearing fruit, and I wanted to continue on that theme. And so this morning, we're talking about bearing fruit, and this morning is the fruit of evangelism. Well, and that just gets you all hyped up and fired. Yeah, I need a coffee or to go away somewhere. Okay. But we're going to talk about, I want to talk about it in a balanced way. I think will make sense for us. And uh, I, I think it'll be a, a good word. John fifteen five says this, If a man remains in me 
and I in him. He will bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And the older you get, the more you realize on the spiritual realm, it really depends upon God uh, and our cooperating with him, not us doing something for God and then handing it to him and saying, aren't you pleased? Uh, there's just a vast universe of difference between those two positions, even though they are not far apart and they're almost simultaneous. All right? And if you've wrestled with that, you know what I'm talking about. If you go John 15, 8, this is to my Father's glory. We used this two weeks ago. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. In other words, Jesus says you want a measuring stick, you want to figure out whether you're really my disciples or not, look to see if there's fruit in your life. Look to see if there's fruit in your marriage. Look to see if there's fruit in your family. Look to see if there's fruit in your church. Do you see evidence of my spirit at work in those places, in those areas? And of course, there's one side of us that is the guilt trip side, beat up, I'm a lousy, you know, stink bug, and uh, we dump on ourselves. And uh, many of us are great guilt trippers, right? Come out of a Catholic background like me, I, oh, I'm sorry, I'm bad, you know, and that kind of stuff. And uh, but then there's the other side of just simply saying, "Hey, it's okay to look and just see if there's some fruit, and if there isn't, to pray that God would begin to bear fruit. And what would I be looking for? And, and how would I know? And boy, this could be exciting to see God do something that I haven't seen Him do before. So I know you waver between those two positions, just like I do." So try to balance that out this morning as we, uh, as we talk about this. The idea we worked off two weeks ago is that everything in our world, everything we know is designed to be fruitful or reproductive, and so is the gospel. Doesn't that make sense? The gospel should bear fruit. And if we are children and products of the gospel, then it should bear fruit in us as well. In other words, it wasn't designed to just land in you or me and then stop there. It's to be passed on from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. And so we are conduits or channels through which the living gospel flows. It's, it's not supposed to stop there. If you're new to this conversation this morning, if you've just come uh, to Norfolk, you could go to the website and download the message uh, from Sunday, September 8th, two weeks ago called Bearing Fruit. And you can catch the, the, the foundation of this. But basically what I said at that time was this. We as a fellowship should be on the edge of our seats with anticipation of what God is going to do among us this fall. And the reason we said that is that a year and a half ago we went through a pruning that we believe as a church family was a God-ordained pruning. In that three of the staff all left all at the same time. Matter of fact, if they would have told me at the time they wanted to, it would have all been within the same five minutes. All right? It was an amazing thing. We've come out of the other side of that. And so we should be anticipating if a person prunes a, a vine or a fruit tree, you know, say an apple tree, you're not doing that just because you have nothing else to do and you just want to whack at a tree. You're doing that with the intention that if I do this, I'm going to cut away a lot of stuff that's not essential so that the essential stuff can come forth that the tree will be bear fruit and be more fruitful. To set the table for this morning, we've just had two speakers. Mike Pentengill, a missionary from the Honduras, on September 1st, 
who did a fabulous job speaking to us, and then Mike Talley from E3 Ministries last week, who both emphasized the importance of evangelism, the idea of the gospel bearing fruit, not only around the world, but here in Mill Creek. And what was amazing is you listen to both of them, they were both saying the same thing, and they had never met. They had no idea who the other, each other were. And I said, if you go back and listen to uh, what Mike Pettengill shared, and then two weeks later, what Mike Talley shared, it was eerie how similar they were talking about, because they were talking about, and we should be expecting the gospel to bear fruit here in Mill Creek, and God to be at work among us, among us, as, as we share. Okay, so Paul captures this concept when he's writing in Colossians. If you want to, you can take your Bible and turn there, and uh, Colossians chapter 1, Paul is talking to a group of people like this, a group of people just like Northview Community Church. It's a church that he planted, it's a church he ministered in, and it's a church, a group of people he really loved. And he's talking to them, and he says this, chapter 1, he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. Boy, didn't Zach paint that well this morning? Nothing like that through the eyes of a child, huh? And that you have already heard about the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. And then in verse 6, Paul says this, All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. There's some profound things in there. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. There is a place where you come and you understand God's grace. It comes alive for you. You understand it's not your works. It's not, you understand it's not a system. You understand it's God came and found you. And that bears fruit. And in that, what Mike Talley was saying that I think we need to remember is when you watch the news and whatever you watch, Yahoo or MSN or, you know, if we still do this old thing called the paper, right, or uh, whatever kind of thing, when you get the news, you are not getting a lot of what's really happening in the world. Mike Talley made the statement, and it's true, more people are coming to Jesus Christ right now than at any other point in the history of the world. And that is not just because there are more people in the world. There are more people in the world, and that is true. But the gospel is going out in ways that has never gone out. The, uh, the internet has revolutionized missions and revolutionized evangelism, and people can hear it regardless of what a government says. And there are things happening around the world that are astonishing to where you would just stand up and clap in awe of what's going on. And the point is that what we've been saying is hurrah for the rest of the world. Why not here? Why not in Mill Creek? Why can't God do a revival here? Why not here and why not now? And that, I believe, comes about when there's a heart set inside of us that says, yes, we would like to see that. We would like to have God work among us. God, what would it take for you to do something in Mill Creek like we hear you're doing around the rest of the world. That's great for the rest of the world, but I wasn't planted in the rest of the world. I was planted in Mill Creek. What would it take for us to see it here? And that includes people we know, right? Neighbors, family, maybe children, maybe, uh, you know, 
friends, cohorts, workers, that kind of stuff. And so there should be uh, an expectation. An expectation can be misused. It can be, you know, uh, in pastor speak, amping you up just to get you amped up, right? And that doesn't last because it burns out. But when there's a sense that the timing's right, when there's a sense we've seen God's hand, there should then be an inset expectation that God is on the move and something uh, is about to happen. And so there's some rules of expectation. Rule number one, God is at work whether I can see it or not. All right? Rule number one, God has not fallen asleep. God is not intimidated by our age. God is not surprised by the arguments that are coming against him. Jesus is not cowering up in heaven going, doggone, I did so much for him and they, they just, oh man, they don't like me. Okay, That's not how it's going. All right? God is serious about his purpose, his kingdom, his gospel, and he is going to send his word out. It will not come back void. And he is going to do a work and he will find those that he wants to find regardless of the obstacles and regardless of their attitude towards it. He is going to be on the move and he is on the move around the world. God's work does not depend on man's ability or eyes. And there's the key point. Just because I can't see it or you can't see it does not mean he's not at work. Okay? He is powerful at work. We're talking about the God who holds the universe together by the power of his word, working through that universe that he's created, including this planet, which is an absolute, unique, unto itself experiment within the universe of the will of God and sin. And God is at work. That he is at work is his sure promise. And this fact we must anchor on, it's not a feeling that we must work ourselves up to. We don't have to work up to it. We simply have to acknowledge it. God, I believe you're at work today, and I I need to find out where you're at work. Rule number two. So rule number one, God is at work whether I can see him or not. Rule number two, if I'm not expecting anything, then I won't be looking for anything. Right? Isn't that true? If If I come to church and don't ever expect God to show up, all I expect is Mitch. By the way, you are a sorry puppy, if that's true. I just put it out there where it is, okay? If all you come for is you hope and you see Mitch and you never see Jesus in this thing, you are a most miserable person. Because if you aren't yet, I'll make you miserable, all right? I mean, it, what holds this together is the Holy Spirit and Jesus, not some personality. And we've seen the Lord take us this way. And so um, if I'm not expecting anything then it won't be looking for it. Do I expect God to be at work? Or do I treat him as if he's doing nothing and kind of snoozing on a rocking chair, taking a nap, and uh, I'll get to it. The truth is that I tend to find what I'm looking for. Now, it is true that I will sometimes find things I'm not looking for, like coins on the sidewalk, right? You ever, you just, oh, you know, you weren't looking for it, but, you know, you found some coins, or I remember one time our daughter found a $5 bill. I was thinking, hey, this is working. <laughs> but most of the time, it's when I'm focused on a particular idea or object that I find it, like my car keys. All right? They're lost. I have to find it, and I have to look intentionally. 
I have to block out the other distractions and zero in, and usually I have to try and retrace my steps, which is a scary proposition because that assumes I can remember what I was doing last 10 minutes, right? And, but when I start to focus on it, I can start to re-piece it back together, and then I can narrow it down and find my car keys like on the top of the dresser the other day where they were, all right? And so when it comes to um, God being at work, you know, the old saying, even a blind squirrel finds an acorn now and then is true. Uh, if you think about it, there are many and numerous stories in the Bible of people who weren't looking or expecting anything from God, and God showed up anyways and surprised them. Abraham, Moses, Virgin Mary, and Paul, to name a few. Right? But most of the time, I do not find or see things unless they come up on my radar screen. You have a priority list. I have a priority list. That priority list is probably anywhere from 1 to 40. And people say, why do we have to run announcements six weeks in a row? Because when we first run the announcement, that announcement is probably number 40. Okay? And as we get closer to the event, that announcement starts moving up on your radar screen to where you actually notice what the event is. And most of us, it doesn't become a priority till it's number one, two, or three. We suddenly realize we're late. We should have signed up three weeks ago, and we're begging, can you please still let me in? By the way, that's a bad thing to do with the kingdom. There's a parable about the wise and foolish virgins. You ought to check that out. That's not a good way to operate when it comes to the kingdom. But we have a radar screen, and it com comes up on the radar screen. And when stuff starts to come up on my radar screen, I start to pay attention. I start to look. I start to, what are the details of it? And so when I focus, it's when I begin to search, usually through a need, right? Isn't that the most common? Um, usually through a need that I find what I'm looking for. The other thing is that there are seasons. There are seasons to look for fruit. A farmer is foolish to be looking for fruit in winter. That is not when you look for fruit. If you have a farm or an orchard or whatever, you don't go out in winter going, boy, I sure hope I find some apples out here. Uh, it's just out of season. It's foolish to expect finding fruit during that time of season, right? And so there are seasons of fruitfulness that come. And when those come, you have to be alert to the season of ministry that you're in. There are seasons when God is at work in special ways. This is true in the lives of individuals, families, churches, and nations. And it's good and wise to seek and desire those seasons that God is at work. Here's Jesus' own words on seeking, if you um, want to look them up there in Matthew. It says, ask and it will be given to you. You know these. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And so we could reword that saying this way. Okay? Lord, please be at work in Mill Creek. We can ask. Lord, please, we'd like you to be at work in Mill Creek. We'd like you to be at work through us as a church, Northview Community Church. I'm glad you're working through other churches. Would you please be at work through us where you planted us? And then secondly, it says, um, 
So ask him, seek and you will find. How are you at work in Mill Creek? I remember asking my son, Matt, Matt, did you see Jesus at work any, anywhere today in your world? He goes, nope. Did you think about Jesus being at work anywhere in your world today? Nope. I said, well, what did you see today? Well, we played football, right? Through the eyes of a child. I don't expect much. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to get a mat. Start looking. Start looking. Where do you see Jesus at work? You know, and that's not just for children, right? As adults, where is he at work? Lord, where are you at work? It comes on your radar screen, and you start to look. You start to zero in on, on what God is doing. And then God, he says, for everyone who asks, receives, he, um, I'm sorry, knock and the door will be open to you. God, would you open a door for your gospel in Mill Creek? And would you show us where that door is? And would you show us how to walk through it? We have never as a church found an effective door to walk into ministry in this area in the nine years I've been here. And we have tried a lot of things. We have never found an effective door uh, that opens up ministry in the Mill Creek area, even though we're planted right here. That's a fairly important need. So rule number one, God is at work whether I can see it or not. Rule number two, if I'm not expecting anything, then I won't be looking for anything. Rule number three, a farmer harvests when the crop is right, not when he feels like it. Right? It is, has nothing to do with our sense of timing and everything to do with God's sense of timing. And when he starts to do something, it really doesn't matter what we're preoccupied with. We've got to drop what we're doing and get on board with what he's doing. It's a disaster for a farmer to invest time and money to plow and disc and plant and wait and raise an abundant crop only to let it spoil and rot in the field because he didn't feel like working that month. I don't remember once, uh, growing up on the farm, I never remember my dad asking me, son, do you feel like baling hay today? That, that wasn't the question. If you had dads like mine, you know what the question was, right? It was, no, get up, we have to get the hay in. And so you got up and you worked sometimes 18 hours a day for a couple of weeks until, as Brock and Danny say every Friday, what? The hay is in the barn, right? And you don't stop until the hay is in the barn because that's the season and you watch the weather and boy, if it was going to rain, you work like a banshee. And I remember bailing till uh, 11, 11.30 at night. You couldn't bail any farther past that because the dew would set on the fields and then the hay would uh, be wet. And if you put that in the barn, it burned the barn down. So you, but you pushed every last ounce out you could to get it in because you were looking at the weather. Likewise, when God begins or brings a season of fruitfulness, when evangelism occurs, when people are open to coming to Christ, we must cooperate with Him in season. We must be ready and willing to come alongside that work, the harvest that He has for us at that time. It doesn't work for us to say, hey, Jesus, wouldn't you really rather do this in spring? I got a lot more time in spring. I, I could help you then. Would you like to come back and check with me? I'll let you know if that'll work. If we, we have that mindset, we, the train will go right by us and we'll miss it completely. We must harvest when he's harvesting. It's his harvest, not ours. Now, here's some common objections, all right? Some common objections to this, and you know them. Number one, I'm not evangelist. I don't have the gift, all right? Let's just get that out on the table. Okay, I got it. I understand that. I'm not an evangelist, all right? Again, Going back to my dad, I don't ever recall my dad asking me, Steve, 
do you have the gift of baling hay? Is that your aptitude? Uh, he really wasn't asking me whether I had the gift or not. What was he telling me? Get out and bale hay. And I think we need to understand that there's times where Jesus is the Lord and he has the right to say, get out and do it. This is what I want you to do. Now, it is true. There is a real and true gift of evangelism. For example, Mike Talley is a prime example. He was here last week. He was in John's office. Where, John, you're back there. He's in John's office last week. And in, within 10 minutes, had, was talking to more people about Jesus Christ in 10 minutes than John had been able to eke out of them in years. And John's just standing there going, what the heck? How does that work? Right? And if you've ever seen somebody like that, it's just crazy. I remember we were in... Uh, uh, a workout club one time, me and Steve Stoffer, and uh, he's a children's guy, and, and uh, Kevin Cavanaugh, who was on our staff at the time, he's up in Canada now, but he's an evangelist person, and he and Jan went into a sauna with five other guys. It was one of those big saunas, and I said, stop, watch this. And sure enough, they came out 45 minutes later, two of the guys had actually accepted Christ in the sauna, <laughs> one guy had agreed to have coffee with Kevin, one guy had agreed to come to the Christmas dessert, and one guy said that he'd go home and talk with his wife and bring his wife back and, and meet with Kevin. And he'd just go, what? <laughs> oh, I don't know about you. That just frustrates me to death. Because I try and share Christ. <laughs> right? I tried to share Christ with one of my neighbors this week. And I was so excited. I, I told the staff, I told the board, I said, prayer, so excited. I sit down, we're at the rock, we're eating pizza, we talk. I, I start popping on, he, he's a believer. From El Salvador, godly, godly grandparents. I'm like, great, now I'm trying to evangelize a believer. This is really good. <laughs> Any of you have those problems, right? I mean, I have had seasons of fruitfulness, but they have been rare and far between. And therefore, um, when we need that gift here, uh, and we've prayed for that gift here. Uh, probably the best evangelist we have in the church is Jen Savage sitting right over there, okay? Um, but we need that gift. And our prayer has always been, God, would you please bring us an evangelist? And could he be halfway normal? <laughs> right? Because evangelists are weird ducks. They, they are really interesting people to deal with because they are so amped on non-believers that they, they will do anything for non-believers and they just value non-believers and they just somehow groove on their wavelength. But they're really hard on believers right? And so they're edgy to live with, and they're, they're like, oh, you guys don't walk with God, right? And you got to feather them out. Just go save people, okay? Leave us alone. And, um, okay? and we need that gift here. So you can join us in that prayer, because really at this stage of our history, it would be critical for that gift to be either uh, given or revealed within our fellowship, right? Uh, you may already be here and you may not know you're the evangelist that God had picked out. That's entirely possible. And boy, won't you and us be all surprised if that's true. <laughs> Matthew, yeah, you could. Yeah, that's good. Okay, but having said all of that, all that's true, but having said that, uh, as a body, we as a body and as individuals also need to bear fruit. It's not okay to say, hey, we hope we get evangelists, they all do it, and then we'll just sit back and say, wow, wasn't that wonderful? No, 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 no. It's an engage, it's a we. We have, to, we have to be involved in the process as well. Second excuse, I'm afraid. Uh, yes, right? 
if it's any encouragement, I get nervous and butterflies in my stomach when I try to share Christ with people, right? It's just not, you're broke, you're a Christian, you're all messed up, you need fixing, I'm awesome. I can just laser beam you and bullet you and I'm just, yeah, ha, ha, uh, sharing Christ, whoa, okay? I don't know why, because I'm a real people person, you'd think it would work, but it doesn't. I'm afraid. Wilson actually is upstairs teaching this morning. He's going to be teaching in both uh, junior high and senior high. Uh, Brooks is on vacation. He's teaching out of Galatians about the difference between the fear of man and the fear of God. And who will you serve? And let's not just pretend that's a teenage issue. Right? All through our lives, we have to keep reading, who am I really serving? Am I more afraid of man or am I more afraid of God? And uh, I remember Pastor Jan, my mentor, always said, always yield yourself to the greater fear, right? How you overcome fear is by yielding to the greater fear, and the greater fear is the fear of God. Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who can kill your body, which I am. Don't be afraid of those who kill your body. Be afraid afraid of him who can take your body and soul and cast it into hell. That's God. That's who we need to answer to, right? And so fear, yes, but we have to overcome fear with courage. And we can't just sit on the sidelines and watch everybody else do it and then go, boy, wasn't that great to be a part of Northview? Remember the parable of the man who buried the talent? I knew you to be harsh, God, so I took your talent, buried it, here's your talent. That's not going to go good. I said, oh, yeah, I was a part of Northview, and yeah, you did work, and yeah, there was a season of harvest, but I really didn't do anything, so here's your talent. Not going to go well. Okay. Uh, third one, touched on this a little. I don't know what to do or say. Well, here's some things. Yes, you could practice with a friend. You know, instead of getting together and lunch and talking about the Seahawks, you could get together and say, hey, let me practice sharing Christ with you and you practice sharing Christ with me and let's, let's, let's practice that together. That is not a bad thing, folks. You could get together and have coffee and practice sharing Christ with, in Starbucks and hope somebody overhears you and comes to Christ on the rebound ricochet effect. That'd be pretty funny. You can go old, old school and find a track you like that just for you really says it, and you can hand it to somebody and say, hey, read this, and if you want, we could have a discussion. Or modern day now, you can find some YouTube clips that are fascinating. Louis Giglio has just incredible stuff out on, on YouTube that you can say, hey, have you ever heard of Louis Giglio? And you're going, who's Louis Giglio? Well, you check him out on the YouTube and, and look at this clip and see what you think, and when you get back, uh, we can go out and have coffee together. There's a lot of creative, innovative ways. Um, just because you don't doesn't mean you can't. We can. We can learn how to do that. And then the last thing in this is the danger of I, 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 I. Right? I, 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 Bulgarian baby. Sorry. Okay, here we go. Those of you who are 50 will laugh because you know that. How about we instead of I? I think a much healthier way to look at it is we as a team. Now, team's harder takes more coordination, but you can get much greater results. We as a church family, we as a team planted here by God could bear fruit. And that doesn't mean we all need to do the same thing. Some of us may need to pray. Some of us need to go out and share. Some of us need to give money to keep this ministry going. Some of us need to come alongside. There's a lot of different roles. Some water, some plant, but all is to the glory of God. If we function together as a team, There can be people who come to know Christ as a result of us cooperating with them. And that's a really effective way because then it doesn't depend on one person. And if God were to grant the gift of an evangelist to us, 
then he's got a team to work with. That's much more effective. Okay? In the NFL right now, the whole issue is who's got a franchise quarterback, right? And if you got one, you got a shot at it. If you don't, you don't. And likewise, the same is true of a church. If you got an evangelist, you got a shot at it. If you don't, you don't. Why? Because an evangelist is catalytic. He stirs the issue up. I'm trying to stir it up this morning. I'm not that good at it. Okay? You get an evangelist up here, he's going to have you standing, clapping, and whoo, you know, let's go get him, right? Think healthy. Think team. Okay, here's the blessing. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Philemon. Okay? I know you're thinking, Philemon? What is that? Phlegm? No. It's a book in the Bible. You'll find it right around Hebrews. Okay? Philemon. I know you're saying, can anything good come out of Philemon? But I want to share a blessing with you this morning that hopefully will set you with hope as you leave this morning. Here's, here's, the, here's the blessing in the Word. In Philemon uh, chapter 1, there's only one chapter to the book, but verse 6 says this. Paul is talking to a guy who himself has become a convert, all right? And um, he says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Let me read that to you again in case you don't have a Bible. It says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. There are some things you can't know by knowing. You can only know by doing, by being obedient. There's two ways of learning. In, in America, if, if I come to you as your pastor and say, John Berhanovich, I want you to do this. The first words out of John's mouth are what? Why? And if I give him a reasonable explanation, he'll say, well, let me weigh it. I'll let you know if I'm going to do that or not, right? That's one way of knowing, okay? Why? How many of you get stuck on why? right? It's a miserable place to be with God because we're just like little kids. As a parent, remember when your kid comes, why, 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 why? Matt's at that stage right now. Where's Pam and I? Why, 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 why? Well, I don't answer him. And he goes, why don't you answer? Because I don't feel like it, right? And you get stuck on that why. And I find very seldom does God feel obligated to answer the why question. Now, if you ask what and how, you get a lot more traction really quickly. God, what do you want me to do and how do you want me to do it? He'll answer that question, well, and we know that, so that's why we don't ask what and how. <laughs> we stay on the why. Give me the why, and then I might do the what and how. And God goes, no, do the what and how, and I'll give you the why. Why? Because there's a certain way of learning in Jesus' world of mentoring. What did he do? He led the disciples along, and he just showed them, and he got them to participate. And once they started doing it, they understood the why. Oh, got it. Okay, And so... There are some things you can't know by knowing. You can only know by doing, by being obedient. This verse indicates, and this is critical, there are some things that we will never understand about God or His kingdom unless we're active in sharing our faith. Now notice I said active in sharing our faith. I didn't say leading someone to Christ. Okay? The results are up to God. The question is if we will be active in sharing it says, if we're active in sharing, Paul says, I pray that you'd be active in sharing your faith so that you'll have a full understanding of every good thing that's in Christ. In other words, there's some things about the Christian life we'll never understand unless we actively share our faith. 
because there's kind of a veil there and you step on the other side and you go, oh, that's what they were always talking about. Oh, that's what pastor meant. Oh, that's why they, oh, you ever have one of those? And Paul says there's some things locked up that if we don't share our faith, we'll never understand them. And the indication is it's a phenomenal loss, personally and corporately, if we don't do it. And so one of the places, if we want to step into the blessing of God, is to become active in sharing our faith. Is to find people that we can share with, that we'll learn some things about Jesus that we otherwise wouldn't have known. Some plant, others water, others harvest, but all should share. Make sense? And the idea here, while you're sitting there pondering and wrestling with this, is not punishment or disapproval. This is not, you've been bad and you better do this to be good. This is if you want a blessing. How many of you say, oh God, I wish I knew your will, and boy, God, I'd like you to bless me. Well, if you want to be blessed, here's a way that you can be blessed. You will be so blessed if you share your faith that you will come to understand the things about Jesus that you never knew before. And I can give personal testimony, this is true. In the times when I have had the wonderful privilege of being the instrument that God used to lead people to Christ. It is one of the most phenomenal things in life to watch the kingdom being born in another person sitting right across from you. To literally where you see the Holy Spirit come upon them and come into them and their eyes change and they suddenly get it and they break down and weep and they cry before the Lord and you suddenly go, oh my goodness, I'm in the presence of holiness. I just saw God do bring something to birth. It's just like the birth of a child. We all know how miraculous that is. It is every bit as miraculous when you're sharing with someone and they come to Christ. You light up in a way that you never lit up before. You see the kingdom in a way you've never... It's no longer just songs and it's no longer just words. Why? Because it's the same when we become parents, right? We become parents... Boy, isn't it amazing when you were single or you uh, got married and you didn't have kids how church looked, right? Then you had children. Boy, don't you see church through a completely different lens? Didn't Zach paint a great picture this morning? He's seeing it through another set of eyes, right? Same thing here. We're seeing it through another set of eyes when we see someone come to Christ. We learn something about Jesus we never knew before. The more you know of him, the more you'll love him. The more you love him, the more you'll share about him. Isn't that true that we talk about that, the stuff we love? right? And the question is, in the list of loves, where is he? Well, sharing your faith puts him back at number one. It reorients the list. Remember the radar screen I was talking about? It flips it the right way up so that Jesus is at the top of the list again. All right, the power of we. It's not you. You don't have to bear this burden. It's we. Our Constitution of the United States of America starts out with we the... I'm glad you know that. Okay, that's very good. You pass history 101, okay? We the people. The idea was there is that as a nation, it is the people that create the fabric and the fiber of the nation. And I have news for you, it still is. Okay, it still is. We the people. Jesus says, I tell you, open your eyes in John chapter 4. Open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Now, it's true there's a lot of stuff wrong, and it's true there's a lot of stuff wrong in our country. But is there another time in history you can think of that's more ripe for a revival than right now? There are millions of children and millions of teenagers who know nothing of this, 
They've never heard Jesus' name other than a swear name. They know none of the Bible stories. They know none of the pictures of Jesus. They know nothing. There's an entire generation that's a latchkey generation that has, what's a church? They don't even know what a church is or why there'd even be a church. What a, now that's awful and tragic. What a phenomenal time for a revival. Wouldn't it be something if God corked a revival that just made the Jesus revolution look like a, a puff of smoke? I mean, it would just be kicking to live in the generation where God had a revival that flipped the United States on its ear. And you could say, we were there. It happened. We saw it happen in our church. I've heard of people talk about revivals broken out in different churches. And I remember one guy saying, the richest time in my life was when we were at our church and God broke out. He says, I remember the presence of the Holy Spirit. There was something going on. It was so amazing. Never forget that. That's got to be what heaven's like. It's got to be a shadow of it. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. And then the last one, let us not become weary in doing good. Isn't it easy to quit halfway through? Or three quarters of the way through? For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we what? Don't give up. That's not just for soccer teams. That's for believers. Okay? We will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Just because it's never happened before doesn't mean it can't happen. Just because Northview's never had it in its history doesn't mean it can't be in its history. Just because we've seen Jesus work before doesn't mean it can't work again. We could be sitting most exciting hit point of history in our church's life. Are we looking for it? Let's look. Let's pray. Father, as we do give us eyes to see, we admit to you we're blind, stuck on ourselves a lot of times, and all we really care about is if we get through and if others don't make it, well, too bad for them, but we made it. Lord, get us out of that. Get us out of that. Love is hard. We're not good at loving. We're good at being selfish. Matter of fact, we're miserably selfish. And even when we think we're loving, half the time we're botching it. Lord, would you help us get out of that? Give us eyes to see what you are doing and what would you like us to do and how would you like us to do it? How could we cooperate with you? Lord, we would ask this morning that you would begin a revival in this area of the Northwest. And Lord, if you would so privilege that it would begin here at Northview Community Church. We ask for your presence. We ask that you would open a great door of ministry. And that's not a competition, Lord. Do it among the churches. We ask for your leadership in that. In your name, amen.